With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Sam Stelling. Uh, we are here for a brand new, brand spanking new episode of Dive Cuts, where we are here to talk about your favorite ranked basketball team, the Missouri Tigers. With me, as always, is one Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well. Uh, I'm here to get outraged about either Jeremiah Tillman not being player of the week or uh, Tessie Newell's continued... Uh, hatred of the Tigers. I don't know what's going to get me more... Jesse Newell! I don't know what's going to leave me more enraged. Frankly, <laughs> I'm ready to burn it all down. Ready to ready to just, you know, tear into everyone here. But I'm fine otherwise. Aside from Missouri being robbed of its rightful extra points in the AP poll and Jeremiah Tillman not getting a accolade he'll forget in five years. Well, I do sort of think, like, I mean, there's a reasonable argument that uh, Jeremiah Tillman had a better week than Colin Castleton. Yeah, they even played the same position. I'm not disagreeing with that. I just, it's hard for me to get my hackles up over it. Yeah, you know, it's also another one of those things where it's, Missouri has had several uh, player of the weeks, and at some point, like, yeah, I mean, you got to you got to kick that around the league a little bit, right? Yeah, the, the SEC's those those awards were not created <laughs> to honor 
pure, unfiltered excellence. They are a marketing tool. And to see people... I, again, I don't... I, I think this is where you... If you're in a Twitter bubble, you see more of it. But I don't think the average fan's all that outraged. But the folks that I did see were kind of like, Oh, wh what is what is Colin Castleton doing winning? I'm like, okay. Uh, Florida's SID just got something he can put in the game notes for this weekend. That's about as... <laughs> that's that's the implication yeah. of that award is that some SID in Gainesville is like, oh, gotta update the game notes for, for Wednesday. So, and, and Saturday, gotta get that in. So, it, I don't know, I just, that 40 minutes of people being like, oh, this is curious, was just, that, their curiosity was curious to me. Well, we can talk about the, you know, some of the Newell stuff later, uh, but I feel like it's better if we kind of kick this off by, I don't know, talking about the week that was. Um, last time we uh, spoke, we were previewing the Auburn uh, basketball game and uh, kind of celebrating the Tennessee win, and 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 we kind of glossed over a little bit of the uh, the TCU win because TCU was not really expected to be all that tough of an opponent for Missouri and. Uh, turns out that our fair tigers needed a come from behind. They were down 12 with 4:40 to play, uh, and and willed that all the way down to tie it, send it to overtime, and, and then they won in overtime. Um, as far as the Auburn game, do you have any a lot a lot of deep thoughts? I, I feel like they just got free throw to death. Uh, I mean, I'm one of those kinds of people that I really don't like being critical of officials. I thought that was a pretty horrifically uh, officiated game. Um, I, I think you always expect the officials to be bad, but I do think that that was an especially poorly called basketball game. But at the same time, if you wanted to kind of zoom out, I mean, you lost by six on the road uh, at a really tough place to play against a team that, let's I mean, let's face it, has, has kind of given Missouri a lot of trouble over the years uh, for, for their style of play. Uh, and a team that is certainly, you know, with Sharif Cooper, if they if they hadn't already taken the postseason ban, I think is squarely uh, a team that would find themselves on the bubble, you know, here probably within a few weeks. Yeah, first of all, this was the scenario I was talking about last week where I, I thought Cooper's ability on the ball and his ability to, you know, get a first step and get downhill and get his feet into the paint was something that could go really wrong. And what we've seen from crews that cycled through the SEC, if we're going to kind of merge your point on officiating, if you play downhill in this conference, the officials who typically work as part of their circuit are likely going to blow the whistle. It's, it's, you know, guys, you know, crews that are working the upper Midwest and, you know, the horizon league and, the Mac and the Big Ten, you know, those officiating crews just tend to let things get a little bit more physical in and around the rim. They tend to let there be a little bit more hand checking. Not so much crews that are working, you know, the southern part of the country. It and also it depends on, you know, the lead official you get some nights. So not surprised that it could go that way. Disappointed that just because I don't I hate the active whistle because I don't because while it creates a free throw advantage, I think it also takes teams out of a rhythm 
for you offensively. And so there could mm-hmm. be trade-offs there from efficiency. But when the foul count gets that high, it, it sort of moves. You're going to get enough cracks that a decent free throw shooting team's going to make the numbers and make the math work out. But to your larger point as well, this is just a bad matchup for Missouri. <laughs> the last four times they've played them, I think three out of four times they've allowed more than 1.05 points per possession. Missouri beat them last year, but nobody but Auburn came into Columbia and racked up 46 free throws. Yeah. This Missouri team. And that was without Isaac That was without Okoro. The one thing that people tend to forget is the last two iterations of Conzo Martin-Seamus have been, I think, worse than 200 nationally in free throw opponents' free throw rate. They, they get handsy. They Missouri is a defensive team that wants to put it, you know, it prides itself on that, but the, they tend to foul a little bit. And when you've got a guy yeah. like Cooper who's going to drive the ball and who's being assertive and you've got crews who typically work the league and are deferential to drivers and guys who put the onus on the defense, you can have that sort of happen. Um, and to your final point, Missouri had chances. They had 38 shots around the rim. Went 16 for 38 in the paint. They, you know, Jeremiah Tillman went 3-11 at the line. There were still opportunities for this team to win this game on the road. The officiating can't be entirely discounted, but Missouri had its opportunities as well. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities, a night where a team shoots 44 three throws is going to put it, is going to put a win in its column. So. Uh, not entirely, particularly when when the bulk of those free throws are going to and like this is sort of, you know, one of the things that you know people have maybe noted about Missouri's free throw shooting has fallen off. Um, you know, a lot of fr- team free throw shooting is about who's shooting free throws. So for Auburn, shooting a lot of free throws, that's great when it's Sharif Cooper, yeah. and for Missouri, it's great when it's Xavier Pinson and and Drew Smith. Those guys make free throws, but when it's Jeremiah Tillman. Even when it's Tillman on a good night, Tillman on a good 65%. night is a sixty-five percent. Yeah. yeah, like like he's he's not making you know eighteen of twenty-three. Like he, <laughs> obviously he struggled. He was three of eleven against Auburn, uh, and he's kind of been on a little bit of a stretch here where um, you know he's he's regressing a bit. Um, you know, but so much of free throw shooting is is who who is shooting your free throws, and and Missouri sent. Uh, you know, however you want to say how uh, <laughs> those calls went, but you know, Cooper shot a lot of free throws, and uh, what what, what was his? Uh, he went. I'm look this he up went eighteen quick. of twenty one. He, he eighteen of twenty one. He shot twenty one free throws. So, and Missouri shot twenty seven free throws. Um, you know, Drew Smith was eight for eight. Mark Smith was two for two. Kobe Brown was two for two. Xavier Pinson was three for four. But Jeremiah Tillman was three of eleven, well, you know, and that's well, just that's like my point. If, if, if Jeremiah Tillman hits four more free throws, goes seven of eleven at the line, and Missouri converts two more layups, it's a two point win, right? So, uh, it's infuriating as it might be, and I get fan frustration. Believe me, there were people after the game who were telling me I was making excuses for the official. My point is, two things can be true: one, the refs were happy with the whistle; two, Missouri had. <laughs> But also, Missouri had plenty of opportunities itself 
inside the painted area to convert. Missouri's a 55 or 60% shooting team typically inside the paint. Uh, even if they're 19 of 38 that night, it's a tie ball game. So yeah. there's... Just think about like something as simple as like you know Tillman wide open dunk opportunity just bangs it off the back rim. Off the like, rim. Yeah. So you finish two plays and you hit a couple more free throws. You know it's what we're doing last year in Columbia when we talk about tough game, got a good win stylistically, not a good matchup. Um. So tough game, but it's going to be a quad one loss. We saw with the brackets afterwards it didn't do anything to Missouri seating. Yeah. They didn't they budge. Didn't move. That's the, like another another thing that I always like to bring up is the number of people sort of, you know, freak out about what one loss might mean. Like there's so many other things in motion in college basketball. Uh like if Missouri goes on a four-game losing streak, yeah, you you want to be concerned at that point. But losing one game here and there in a in a, a area of, of their uh their schedule where you really didn't expect them to maybe win that game at the beginning of the season. I um, had it as a loss. You know, maybe, 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 yeah, like, I think, I can't remember if I had it as a win or a loss, to be honest. Um, I thought that was an opportunity for them to kind of capture uh, a win that maybe you didn't expect them, you know, because I, I, I didn't think Auburn was going to be uh, as good as they've been in recent years, um, you know, we didn't know how many fans were going to be in attendance, and and sure enough, like that game was competitive, and really, you know, without Cooper in the game, I mean, Missouri was able to control that game yeah. just incredibly. Uh, so I, it just kind of shows you uh, how valuable Sharif Cooper is. Um, but kind of moving on, the the TCU matchup, you know, we did gloss over it, and. Uh, you know, here here's the team, and I really like they haven't kind of put it all together this year. Um, but it is a team that has, at least if you go by recruiting rankings, like it has some talent yeah. on the roster. Um, and there's some guys who, you know, I think like PJ Fuller, who was like a you know a four star recruit, played with Michael Porter Jr. and Jonte up in in Seattle. Uh, Nathan Hale. Um, I think Missouri even kind of checked in with him at one point, but ends up going to TCU. Uh, Chuck O'Bannon is 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 Charles O'Bannon's kid. Did Ladeuke was an Ohio UCLA and like the Ohio State transfer. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Lampkin was a borderline four star guy. Like they they have talent, and even even uh, um, Miles uh, Mike shoot. Miles Mike Miles. Um, even like he was like a top one fifty kid. Uh, I mean, he's sort of broken out a little bit more than I think you expect him to. But Nemhard was a you know was a high three star kid. There's so so their roster had some talent. They just haven't played. They've struggled to make shots, and I mean, much to Missouri's chagrin. Uh, and I even I think I messaged you at, at one point. You know, like we should have known when. I think O'Bannon was the guy that banked in some like 18 foot jumper. So we should have known at that point that it was going to be a weird night offensively. Uh, and it was, and you know, like I, I am kind of a believer that, um, that weird things happen. And I've said all along that, that this year of all years, like there are going to be a lot more weird things that happen. And so TCU lighting you up for like 98, 
eight points in 78 possessions like that's that's not expected but if you can find a way to win the games where those weird things happen then you're going to end up ahead of the game and i think for all the things that that didn't go missouri's way in in this really weird game where tcu was playing out of their minds offensively and making a lot of shots that they don't normally make uh i mean yeah, it, it, it doesn't look great on the resume to sort of squeak by a team that's barely in the top 100 in Ken Palm. But, you know, at the end of the day, a, a win is a win is a win. The I tweeted this afterwards, and it's an obvious point, but I think one people were heartened to see was, you know, there's, and I told, and I kind of read it to say, they are six minutes away from being nine and five. And they're two halves of basketball with him being 13 and one. And everything kind of works out. You got to toss everything into the pot of stew there, and you're 11 and three. Mizzou fans, by nature, and it's obvious, are going to really harp on those five quad one wins they own. But really, if you don't, it's easy to say, oh, that they had one bad half at Auburn. They had. Mississippi yeah, Mississippi State. State. Yeah, they won by half at Mississippi State. Sharif, everything kind of goes into it, and this is something where I look at Missouri, and I've said this. This is a team that is capable of picking off Illinois, but it's also certainly capable of losing to TCU. It just – the offense is bulky enough that it can get itself into binds and can get out over its skis, but it can also get out over its skis like it did. Xavier Pinson going 8-13 from deep. That's that's over his skis a little bit, just as much as you know TCU getting <laughs> the kind of bench production it did. It was a day where both sides had outlier performances. You know, this is Missouri's one of its best performances under Martin, probably one of its top five offensive performances, also one of its top three worst defensive performances with him here, and it and it happened yeah. at the same time. The one thing that did give me pause was when I was going back through and just looking at the past couple of games is. I think three out of the last four games they've allowed greater than 1.07 points per possession. Basically 107 points per 100 possessions. That's problematic. But then you, so do you ask yourself, is it something that's, you know, personnel based? Do, have they figured, have teams figured, or is it scheme based? Have teams figured out how Missouri wants to guard and they've now figured out Missouri's personnel. Now they are, um, I've seen, anecdotally i haven't gone back and like diagram this or plotted it or charted it just seems like teams are doing more to target switches and get on to favorable switches which isn't a new thing lots of teams do that i mean it's trickled down the professional ranks to here but is that happening to missouri or is it a function of they've played mississippi state with two guards who are absolutely sensational in the mid-range are comfortable shooting those shots when those shots are what Missouri would consider a shot they want to allow. Missouri is fine forcing a contested two. DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar are fine taking contested twos and can knock them down. Was that a function right. of personnel in that game? Um, at Auburn, Sharif Cooper's probably, you know, depending on where we see mock drafts get updated, if he continues on this year, he's going to be a lottery pick. So did a lottery pick who's an elite on-ball creator 
just have a knight against you. And again, in this game, Mike Miles and Arjun Embard, both fantastic playing out of ball screens. We kind of knew both could do that a little bit, Miles more than Nimbard. And they got that and they started targeting some switches. So is it a function of they just had, they've run into three or four teams where the where a, there's a point guard and a combo guard who excel in those situations? Or is it more structural? Are they going to, and where we're really starting to see teams now, kind of like we did earlier in the year, get the drop on this group and they're going to have to adjust and make some tweaks. I don't know. I just think it's something worth monitoring. So the question to me is, is TCU an outlier based on the personnel they had on the floor that day and, you know, just fluky shooting number, fluky shooting performances, or is it a canary in the coal mine? I don't know, but I think it's something to at least broach coming out of that game. Well, one thing that, uh, so Consul Martin had his radio show earlier tonight, we're recording this Monday evening, uh, and he did kind of note that uh, as a way to kind of prevent, you know, Jeremiah Tillman from, um, you know, running into potential foul issues is they've really kind of gone away from, you know, their tendency of, of running and trapping ball screens. Um, and I've always been a very big uh, proponent of trapping ball screens. That's that's kind of in the, uh, you know, the, the, the core of, of, you know, who I was as a coach when, you know, I was at Webster and that's like, that was a core thing that we did at Webster. Like you want to set a ball screen, we're going to trap it. Um, now, you know, college basketball, uh, different than high school basketball, different than pro basketball, uh, you know, but in high school basketball, you, you, if you trap a high school point guard, you know, it's going to be able to create a lot of turnovers. Um, you're just trying to force you know, the ball one of the, one, the college level. You're just trying to get the ball to somebody else. Well, exactly, and I think that's one of the things. You know, particularly if you look at you know the way that TCU played uh, and and Auburn played, is if you force the ball out of the point guard uh, point guard's hands, and you're you're basically making somebody else make the plays. And and uh, you know if, if if Miles isn't able to make those plays, um, you know, like is this game another kind of one of those like easy ten to twelve point wins that we had seen? You know, and in previous games with uh, you know Missouri against like Texas A&M or, or South Carolina, where they just sort of were able to hold the other team at arm's length. I think at one point Missouri was up like 26-21, and it just sort of felt that they were in control of the game. Uh, you know, and then it's just like they just could never quite get that separation. Next thing you know, like TCU's got it back within a bucket and. And uh, they, yeah, they struggled to get they they go they go on a little run. They and, struggled <laughs> to string three stops together to open that gap to double digits, and maybe that takes a little bit out of wind out of TCU sales at that point. If if it's ten, and Missouri's shooting the way they are, and Tillman's getting to the rim, maybe which gets because they have. I mean, they had absolutely no answer for Jeremiah none. Tillman. They were running three uh, I mean, dudes. He out. was a an absolute monster, and they did everything they could to slow him down, and it and nothing worked. Where I think I was I was a broken record after the game. I said I think TCU and Jamie Dixon he should want to vomit after that game. They took their foot off the gas with the in the final three thirty. Once they got it to eleven, they came down. They bled clock. They did some time-wasting spacing cuts, and then they'd go into an ISO, and it would be an attack, and it just felt like 
they have some veterans on that roster. R.J. Nimbird's a vet- veteran. Kevin Samuel's a veteran. Chuck O'Bannon is a junior, but he hasn't been like a prime. He hasn't been a key cog there. So they've really got just two key contributors. The rest are mostly underclassmen. And it felt like when Jamie Dixon went into four-minute offense there, it, it just it put them on the back foot, and they hadn't played that way all day. Missouri kept attacking. Missouri hit some jumpers. The four-point play happens, and now it's down to, a, and now you're in a one-possession ball game. And I don't know if TCU is quite ready to flip the switch back because they haven't played a lot in the past couple of weeks. It just felt. I just thought Jamie Dixon got way too conservative in the final 3:30. You're on the road. You haven't stopped Missouri all day. You haven't. You haven't strung together any stops at all. Keep playing. Keep trying to score. Keep trying to put them in. in don't let up. Keep your foot on their throat. And it, that was my big takeaway. Credit to Missouri because they kept playing their asses off. But TCU just left the door open for them down the stretch. And I think you look back on the ride home and you go, did did we maybe get too conservative? So that that was the other kind of impression I had coming out of the game, coming out of the weekend. So eleven and three, top twenty. Still looking at, uh, I think they're three seed line for the most part. Three or four, depending on when the brackets were updated. The ones that were updated yesterday and today, a little bit more towards four and fives seeds, but the average seed has barely moved. So probably still across more recent brackets around a four. Mm-hmm. Last week didn't. It's so weird because people would say last week felt like things could have been dicey. They could have gone on zero and two last week, and they'd have like dropped to a six. Missouri's safely in the field right now. You now they've got some insurance to play with. I'm not saying you want to <laughs> use any of it right now. You ne- you never want to make a claim. You don't want to do that at all, but I don't think last week would have been as damaging in alone. I mean, you could have teed it up going into this week with Alabama on Saturday, but overall, one and one, about where they were in Kimpom, a little lower in the AP poll, still a four seed. And at this point, that's all you care about. You're just trying to tick off weeks till March without causing any 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 more unnecessary harm. So don't don't feel like last week did too much down that front, but we're we're continuing to see uh that there's angst, Samuel, about why is there this wide gap between where the AP voters have put Missouri and why Kim Palman is and his A and his algorithm are so damned biased against the Tigers. Why? I want to know. I want to know why. I, I want. I want a Zoom call <laughs> of Ken updating them every day. I want to. I want transparency here. I want to know why he has a vendetta. Uh, why he has an omerta. Why, why he's so uh, against the Fair Tigers. Please, please explain well, to me well, why so, like, well, he's he's <laughs> he's rejiggering the math against my alma mater. So I. I tend to think that like one of the reasons why 
Jesse Newell is kind of failing at his job is he's he's not looking at the AP poll as to what the AP poll is, which is resume based. Uh, and I think you and I both agree that it's at this point pretty inarguable that Missouri has one of the 25 best resumes in the country. Um, the computers, however, do not really like Missouri all that much. And I would agree uh, with the computers. And, and so, <laughs> and, and like, and that's the thing is, so for like, we're never going to convince Jesse Newell to vote a different way. Like he has made up his mind that he is going to vote this way. Uh, and, and like, this is the top 25 that he's going to release. He's, he's going to release a top 25 that is, is based on like predictive metrics. And so I kind of think it's interesting that like you and I are, are very heavy into the predictive metrics. We, we like Ken Palm. We like Bart Torvik. Um, all of these systems that are uh, basically trying to tell you like what you can expect when two teams would play each other, uh, you know, versus um, home and road, uh, neutral site. Like that's why Ken Palm exists uh, to tell you like what your expectations could be, but that's not what the AP poll is. So why computers don't like Missouri is because Missouri like at this point if their defense was as good and as consistent uh as it's been kind of even in recent years where I I think they should be probably like a top uh 30 top 25 level defense then I think the computers would like Missouri a whole lot more but essentially like I'm and I'm trying to f- think about like the best way to f- to phrase this when when you're looking at a a long list of possessions that a team has played over the year um and and at this point I think Ken Palm has not completely phased out preseason predictions uh, I kind of rant it, it's really close um I ran some some kind of rough numbers uh, for for people that were kind of paying attention, similar to what I did when I was sort of rebuffing, um, you know, Newell's, uh, you know, I guess objection to to Missouri. The preseason rankings like don't always tell the full story because you know, like you don't really know how a team is going to perform in that that year. Um, you know, you, you're going upon previous seasons of data and that data can be influenced uh, by all kinds of things um, so now we have almost a full clear set of of data for this year and, and again like I, I think that uh, and to be clear we, we don't know how Kim Palm is waiting prior data and we don't know how he necessarily rank, waits possessions like the the respective to possession volume. Right. So what we're talking about in aggregate here is essentially what we what you can do is you can calculate Missouri's raw efficiency, which is not that tough. You can we, you put it in the piece. You calculate number of possessions, you divide by you divide points by possessions and that's how you get PPP. And you can you take the difference between offense and how many points Missouri scores per possession, how many they allow. And that's efficiency margin 
and that's the raw total. And now you're going to try and weight that against Missouri's average opponent. So you will then go through, look at their average, look at the average rating of the opponents they played, which I think you said today is like 71. And you will look at yeah. So I, I basically took today's Kempom ratings of of all of Missouri's teams. And it came up to like 71 point something. Which, if you look at Kempom right now, the 71st ranked team is North Carolina State. And their adjusted efficiency margin is, I think, around like 12 or something. Like, Yeah, so it, it's 12.05. So you would add Missouri's adjusted efficiency margin, which is 7 points per 100 possessions, to North Carolina's. Because what you're going to do is, that's what it would be against, you know, if you were to weight it for who they played. It'd be 19 points is their adjusted efficiency margin against is basically what it would be if you adjust right so essentially like what i'm doing to try to figure out where uh you know ken palm's data is as far as you know preseason metrics or uh how much is still might be weighted in that is i took mizzou's raw efficiency which right now they're basically at seven points per 100 possessions uh you know, better than their opponents. Um, so the raw efficiency on offense is 1.05 points per possession. And 0.98 is what they're allowing per possession. Yeah, and they're they're allowing 0.98. So basically all the points that they've scored, number of possessions they've had, that's what they've averaged over the course of the entire season. Their average Kempom opponent is 71.35. Just have found the number here. Um, so if you were to basically add, uh, you know, seven to NC State's, you, you would end it up at, at 29th in Kempom. Uh, so that would be 19.05. Uh, I just if you look- lost my Kempom page. So 29th uh, is basically like right behind Virginia Tech. And what you can do if you want to compare where we are right now is you can look at what Missouri's act what Missouri's Kimpom, what their efficiency margin is right now on Kimpom's page. Right now, it's 17.78. So the gap between, to get really technical, between efficiency margins is basically one. As that as that gap kind of shrinks, we begin to kind of see the weighting data move out. So Missouri's, again, w- there may also be some weighting that's happening in Ken's algorithms for various variables, for possessions, for tempo, things of that nature. But Well, that yeah, so that's another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up is... is um, you know, so, and this is one thing that I, I've sort of said over and over, like, this is a, like a pretty brutal way to kind of look at it and break it down. Um, but one thing to keep in mind, like, I don't necessarily know that Ken Palm does this with his algorithm, but if I were Ken Palm, I would probably factor this in. Um, and that is, so not every game has the same number of possessions. So Missouri's like fewest possessions, in a game this year was 62 versus Liberty. So even if you, let, let's say just for, for example, let's say that Missouri's most efficient offensive game happened in that low possession game. And then their least efficient offensive game happened in their, the game with the most possessions, which at this point would have been Auburn uh, at 82. So, if, if you were to, like, those 62 possessions that you played really efficient offense 
weren't necessarily uh, helping you in the same way that a, a lower efficient uh, game happened in over 82 possessions because those number of possessions netted different results against different opponents uh, in different pace. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to try and create an adjusted pace of, of which to weight everything off of, and then you'll adjust to that. Precisely, so yeah. It. So so those 62 possessions that you played against Liberty are going to weight on your offensive and defensive efficiency differently than the... Your 82, per- the, 82 Yeah, then your efficiency margin would have been against against Auburn. You know, which is this is... Which is, this is all a way of saying, what Kim Palm is trying to do is take everything that's happened, put it in, and we tried to explain it in a very straightforward way. I don't know how good of a job we've well done, <laughs> yeah. but what sure. Kim Palm is doing is he is he is taking your efficiency margins, adjusting it for the average team you've played, and then we'll weight it based on tempo, most likely. We'll t- weight various tempos differently. And then you can see those efficiency margins, and it will project how you should perform against different teams. So what Ken is doing is he's essentially taking all of Division One's possessions, putting them in a big vat, and weighting them against each other, and now you can get a predictive outcome. And that's handy for us because we can begin to look it. It can be handy in this way, and this is where I, I, I differ with Jesse. I don't look at the top line number so much as I like to look at what's on a team's page. What are their four factors? What is the data telling us about this team and how it plays? Right. How does this team perform? It, it's, so, it's an application of, of the, you know, the data as opposed to a strict reading of the data. Correct. And what I think happens here is if you go in and you like average each of these algorithms which is a tempting thing to do you have no clue how they differ how different things are weighted out it it, to me averaging them doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're going to weight each of the each of the algorithms that you're using essentially and i don't think most journalists i was a journalist and i only and i got through like basically stat two at mizzou (laughs) i don't have the competency to weight them appropriately right so what i think you do is you look at them and you say and this is where i think what to the credit of most reporters now because i think if you look at how the polls move over time as we get further into the season anecdotally they start to more closely resemble kimpong or more closely resemble these kind of advanced metrics and these predictive analytics that we use so I think it's a sign that a lot of writers and a lot of people covering the sport are looking at these things and sort of trying to really do what I just said, get under the hood and understand how these teams play. And I think that informs how they do the results-based polling. So if you were to go to uh, somebody who's voted Missouri 15th or somebody who voted them 18th this week, if you were to ask them if they looked at Kimpon, what they would say, they'd say probably looking just looking at the rankings in there, Missouri's beaten some good teams, but there's nothing that really jumps out on their page. Like if you look at Missouri's Kimpon page right now, they're 113th in effective field goal percentage, they're 153rd in turnover percentage, they're top 100 in rebounding, offensive rebounding, 
they're really good at drawing fouls, and they're really good at shooting two-pointers, but there's nothing on their page that jumps out as elite. Defensively, they don't force a lot of turnovers. They, they're kind of average keeping teams off the glass. They foul a lot defensively. They're 272nd in foul rate. They're good at two-point defense, and they run teams off the line pretty well. Yeah. But what you would say is that's a pretty good team. It's a top 40 team who's gotten some good results. So we have to acknowledge that, yes, they've beaten some good teams, and we can't ignore that. They have not taken any bad losses. They've lost to Tennessee, top 20 team. Mississippi State on the road, you can talk about that as a bad loss. They're top 75 in Kimpom. Not the worst loss. That's a quad two loss, even if you use net rating. And Auburn's going to, if they continue at this pace, is going to have moved up 35 spots in three weeks with Sharif Cooper. It's an entirely <laughs> different basketball team. That's just nuts. Then it's nuts, but point being, I think you can say Missouri is not a dominant team. They're a team that on the right day can beat an Illinois, can beat an Oregon, can beat a Tennessee. But if, as we've seen, if jump shooting goes into a hole and dies, they're vulnerable. If they get a matchup against a team like TCU or Auburn, where there's an especially dynamic on-ball creator that can sort of chew up Missouri's gap-based defense, and Missouri's not going to trap them, they can be in trouble. You can acknowledge that Missouri is a flawed team while recognizing that the performance they put together merits inclusion in the AP poll. Right. And that's really where we are. And I, I get frust what frustrates me is when people say these predictive metrics are wrong, they're biased. They're not. What if you look at Kim Baum and my understanding, he doesn't do a very good job explaining it. He has a he has a category called luck, which to me is basically the way I read it, a measure of variance. Like if we have two teams that meet each other and we have a predicted margin of victory and it's off by a wide margin, it influences this variable, and the teams with the biggest variance have luck. Right. We call it luck because it should. It's a wide. Their their outcomes kind of skew. Missouri's tenth in luck, which tells you that. You know, Missouri's won five. Top fifty five quad one games, and they've also gotten the absolute crap kicked out of by Tennessee and Mississippi State by margins that were. 14 to 15 points wider than they should have been. So that tells you Missouri's a team that when it's heads, when it's in the right place, when it's heads on straight, it can be a really, really good team. But, you know, you're kind of <laughs> depending on the whims and who shows up that day. I think both those things can be true. And where I agree with Jesse's point is, we should, we should use these metrics, we should take them seriously to evaluate the quality of the team that's playing. But I disagree with him when he says that the job of the AP poll and his job is to evaluate quality programs. No, the AP poll, like you said, is, a respect, is to reflect, in part, the games that have happened. Right. Results that have happened. You can disagree that Missouri's a top 10 team. When Missouri was voted 12th last week, even I thought that was a little high. When people were saying they should have been a top 10 team, I even kind of blanched at that. Yeah. But there's five quad one wins if you're going to make the argument. 
fine. But to just say I've averaged three analytic models and just three straight top-line numbers, and it tells me that Missouri's not a top-25 team, like, you, you, Jesse's smart. I, I follow Jesse. <laughs> Jesse tweets great stuff about, like, the Spain actions that Bill Self's running on offense. He does great stuff. And then to, like, abdicate and say, I just average these metrics. You're smart. You ask good questions. You, you write stuff that most of the time I'm interested in reading. Why would you now suddenly say, I'm going to... I'm going to offload this to, you know, four guys who run websites. Use their models. They're smarter than all of us. They built the entire websites based on this. But you're free to have your own opinion or to respect the results that happen on the floor. So I, it's hard for me to get upset either way because I feel we're, there's Mizzou fans who are at one end of the extreme and there's Jesse who's at the other. And it's just much more nuanced than that. Well, another thing that I'd like to kind of point out is, you know, while Missouri's resume is is worthy of a top 25 ranking, their opponents aren't really, like the teams that Missouri has beaten are not really doing Mizzou a whole lot of favors. Uh, The average opponent ranking is down five spots since you last did it. It was 66 when you did the piece. It's down to 71. Right. You know, and that's, that's while they're in conference. So... The only team that has really kind of uh, stuck it out is Illinois, and we've seen Illinois, you know, provide a wide variety of performances. Um, you know, they're capable of, of, you know, basically cracking down and, and beating Iowa without, you know, much uh, fanfare. But, you know, they're also just capable of, uh, you know, losing to, you know, Maryland at home. And, you know, Maryland is... Uh, certainly you know lower income palm than missouri uh oregon is another team that you know oregon lost at home to oregon state uh you know i thought liberty was kind of training the right way they're they've been okay uh tennessee was top 10 in kempom they're now down to 15 mississippi state has increased texas a&m has gotten worse south carolina has gotten worse so the auburn shouldn't uh, yeah, Auburn, so, Auburn has jumped, so it, you know, like that is going to help. But but my point is basically that you know while those wins in real time were great, it also matters what those teams do after that. And some of the, like some of those wins have lost a little luster, you know, because of subsequent performances from from those teams. Like after Missouri beat Arkansas, I mean Arkansas uh, was top thirty. I think they're they're thirty. They've, they've recovered a bit. Um, but after Missouri beat them, that was that was Arkansas's first loss, and they went on to lose like four or five games. Um, so you know, I, I think like like that's another thing with with uh, with the metrics and and you know why the computers quote don't like Missouri. Uh, you know, it's because when you the teams f- they're beating may not be as good as you thought they right, were. Right, and like you have to factor in each and every possession that is happening in division one basketball. Uh, and so like Wichita state being better than they were expected, um, is good, but they're only slightly better than expected and not like a lot better than, than expected. So, you know, like all that kind of plays a role. Um, 
That being said, we are running a little low in time. Uh, do you want to pivot and talk about Kentucky at all? This is they're a, it's a bad Kentucky team, but they're an interesting Kentucky team too. To me, at least, they're interesting because this is close to being one of Cal's better defensive teams he's had in Lexington. We can talk about how much the circumstances of this season influence that because I also think it matters and it has bearing on just how atrocious they've been offensively. But I think you put it best today. This is a team that still has enough raw blue blood talent on it that it can stumble in if it stumbles into a night of offensive proficiency it can the results can go poorly for you i mean they they, they beat lsu pretty handily and i mean lsu has not been as good as i think a lot of people kind of thought they would be um you know but there's i think a lot of people thought they'd actually care about defense <laughs> they don't <laughs> i mean you and i didn't think that they would care about defense i don't think we quite expected the... them to be as bad defensively as they've been uh you know to me, Kentucky's found its model. They're going to grind the pace down. They're going to try and defend as hard as they can. They're going to hope Dante E. Allen is knocking down jumpers. They're going to hope that Olivier Sars' face-up game in and around the block is working and that they can f- cobble together something. Maybe Davion Mintz has a good game. Maybe Brandon Boston has a, an, an, a better shooting out of it. I mean... That kid is trying to work through a completely revamped jumper in a shortened off season and a screwed up regular season. He hasn't looked good at all. Um, Terrence, he's still like you know when he takes the floor, yeah. he's he's almost always the most talented. I just guy. don't. I just don't know what you they know, have but, offensively. Uh, as I as I always say, like like you know, progress is is rarely ever completely linear. Uh, you know, particularly with with basketball players, and and Boston, uh, you know, is a guy who looks like he's kind of figuring it out, and then he takes a step back, and he looks like he's figuring it out, and he takes a step back. So, I think I think this is a game that can be dangerous uh, for Missouri because there there's still talent on that that Kentucky roster, and and Lord knows, like you know, like all the issues that Missouri had around the rim. You know, against Auburn with with these athletic uh, shot blockers, like, Kentucky Jackson, still provides a lot of that. Uh, uh, God, he's fun to watch. He's I, fun I, to I, watch, I, isn't he? He's like six, Missouri, six nine, six ten. When just Missouri like, recruiting some just guys for his absolute age, pogo his sticks for legs. Watched him back to back years when they came here for the EYBL event. That kid's timing off the floor and the space and and ground he can cover is absurd his recovery speed is amazing his timing his sense of where he is needs to be rotating from the help side is just innate it he can wipe it out around him he's not as he's not built like a linebacker like e pons is but both of them just have innate sense of space time and how to recover back he can wipe you out around the rim and that they need that because Olivier Sar is not. I think that's the other thing that intrigues about the team is Olivier Sar is not at all the kind of Kentucky big that I'm used to. Oh, he's way more finesse than like I wasn't watching Wake Forest games in droves last year, but to see, but yeah, I know shocker, right? 
What? But to watch him now is to see a guy who he catches <laughs> in the post. His first instinct is to reverse pivot into a face-up. And I'm not sure if that's – he's not really either a guy to – like Kentucky – Kentucky the last couple years has been – if we can't get anything off dribble drive, we're going to go high pick and roll, and we're just going to chuck lobs to the rim, and we're going to send P.J. Washington, Nick Richards. We're going to send somebody up after it. That is not Olivier Saar. Isaiah Jackson, still trying to figure it out. I, but one good night, and they stumble into it, and they can they can be problematic. So it's that's what's interesting to me is I know they're going to defend – I know they're going to grind the pace, but are they going to stumble into a good offensive night? Because they've got raw talent on the roster. Uh, the Alabama game, though, is is before last week dented some optimism. A lot of people were pointing to that game. I still think that's going to be really, really, really fascinating because it's to me it's coaches who have two clearly contrasting views on how you play the game of basketball, build their rosters accordingly, and I always like those matchups. Those uh, how Nate Oates wants to play and how Conzo Martin wants to play, even after Conzo's adapted, it, to me, are, are just fascinating contrasts. And I think that's going to – and the stakes are there. If Missouri wants to stay anywhere in the chase pack for a top two or three finish, they, they have to get a result there. So that that's a bigger – that's that's a, probably more interest to me is what happens on Saturday. Well, you know, it is, it is interesting. So, you know, I, I do think it's – it's difficult to sort of project what, you know, Kentucky is going to come out and play like. Uh, if there's a year where you should beat Kentucky, it's certainly this year. Um, you know, but that, that matchup against Alabama is, is one where, you know, I'm looking at, um, you know, Missouri last year and and how they played Alabama. And, I mean, they beat, they made Alabama quit in that last game. Uh, you know, a team that, you know, I, I think you and I were both a little disappointed with how, you know, the Tide looked uh, throughout most conference play. I think at one point they were like, uh, let me, yeah, they just, you know, they, they had a decent run. Um, they kind of stumbled down the, the back end. They really didn't play very well away from home. Um, they were, I think they were, that's what it was. They were so looking at their uh, their schedule last year. They were eight and eight, coming off a, a home win against South Carolina, sixteen and thirteen. Probably still in kind of the discussion for an NCAA tournament bid, uh, and then they lost to Vanderbilt at home. And and like yeah, and and came on the road to Missouri. And I, like I don't know, like Missouri was playing pretty well down the stretch. Um, you know, they, they had the, the Barcelona thing working with Xavier and, and Drew, uh, and Missouri won by 19 points. Um, you know, so this is obviously a very, very different Alabama team. Um, you know, they're, I, I like they're eighth in Ken Palm right now. I think a lot of that kind of comes from, uh, you know their ability to kind of win some of the games that they won uh, through their their little ten game win streak. Um, I still think this is an offense that you can kind of slow them down a little bit uh, if they're having an off night shooting. Obviously, it's 
it, it, it can make things dicey for them. Uh, the thing that I've, I'm probably the most impressed with uh, with Alabama this year is is their approach to defense. They seem far more engaged uh, defensively than they they were last year, um, and 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 really in like probably the last couple of years. Part of that may be personnel too. Part of that may be the fact that you know Bolden is gone. Kyra Lewis is great offensively, but still kind of light, you know, just an, on the defensive end there. Um, I think Alex Reese for you know people might question his shooting different than Galen Smith I think they've they've gotten personnel that fits a little bit better you know we I you know we were critical of well and 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 Reese also yeah I think Reese also is a guy who um has embraced his role a little bit more this year he's he's much more like I mean he's he is willing to kind of take that you know, that three point jumper, but he's, he's a lot more willing to sort of be the guy who's the five who can, who can take the other center off the dribble a little bit and, and, you know, and kind of create that space. And I think that's, that's helped them a little bit. But yeah, Um, I think that obviously like John Petty has been uh, unbelievably good. And he's a guy who you and I both liked a lot. I don't know that I really ever saw him taking quite the step. He's he's shooting the ball worse, but I think when Um, he's, what so I, I do think that merits include, but I think what John I think what one the defense is better and if you watch them I think what they're really good at doing is being opportunistic with on ball pressure but they still kind of want to pack it up they still kind of want to they, they want to keep you out of gaps and I think they've gotten better at that and mixing you know being able to force some live ball turnovers to run I think they're better at that than they were a year ago they found a better balance but I think the one thing that's helped them Oddly enough, is they've moved Jaden Shackelford almost over to point guard because last year, because of how Lewis played, he was so good in ball screens. I think they had to kind of compromise a little bit for him to fit him some more. This year, they've got Jaden Shackelford, and they're almost exclusively like kind of coming down with that Houston Rocket style spacing, and they're playing to dribble drive motion off of it. And Jaden Shackelford fits that because he can attack or close out and still hit jumpers. And John Petty is good because I think people think of him as just a spot-up shooter. He's shooting 35%, which is down from last year. But if you watch Petty, Petty can drive it a little bit. He can cut. He can create off the bounce for himself. And then they've got Josh Primo, who's not playing well in transition, but he's a long athletic dude who's shooting the hell out of the ball in the half court. And Herb Jones is playing like an offensive revelation i didn't think herb jones would ever be this good he and he's knocking down the occasional spot up he's able to make some plays in transition and he's just that guy who will still find ways to create offense for himself in the half court off rebounds and cutting so i think they've just got a better guard mix that understands what they want to do and they play to it a little bit more but i do agree with you that if they don't shoot the ball well life gets tough for them. They're 66th in half-court efficiency. They're 11th nationally in jump shooting. And they're only 282nd in finishing around the rim. And they're not good in pick and rolls. If So if jumpers aren't going, they can the well dries up for them pretty quickly. So the question is, Ken, is really, are they going to bury you? Because what they want to do is they want you to force the hard closeout 
and then they're going to attack you. So I think it's just going to be fascinating how Missouri defends that this year because I think they've got personnel that's more bought in and fits what they want to do. But a bad shooting night, and it opens the door for a team like Missouri. So it's just going to be fascinating to watch how, how that stylistic contrast plays out. Well, and also like the you know the way that Missouri wants to play, which is is uh, you know similar as far as kind of spreading teams out and kind of attacking the rim, uh, you know, and and again like it kind of comes down to the officials and and what kind of whistle, you know, they're gonna have, um, you know, Alabama's not a team that really puts a ton of pressure on you to uh, you know. I, I, like as far as getting to the line and shooting a lot of free throws, I think they're a team that, um, you know, they do want to drive and they do want to take shots around the rim, but they're not necessarily hunting contact the way that, that Missouri does sometimes. And um, if, if I think the, the key for me is, is if Missouri is able to, uh, you know, to generate a lot of free throws. Uh, and if, if they are, then I, you know, they're, I think they're going to be able to kind of, take some of the pressure off uh, their own offense for what, you know, Alabama is going to try to do uh, defensively and, and, and whether or not, you know, they make jumpers, obviously, I mean, if Alabama comes in and hits half their jumpers, like they, um, like they have, and, and, you know, against, against Arkansas or against LSU, uh, it's going to be a long I, night. I, they're they're going to have to get back <laughs> in and get organized quickly defensively. Cause Alabama will make you play long possessions they have no problem sitting down and making and guarding and making you play out a long possession. But they're third nationally in possession length. I mean, they well, want to come I, down and score quickly. They are, you know, Nate Oates has said, Buffalo and he has said here, if you are open in rhythm and we have, especially if they get a drive and a kick off of paint touch and on their break, he's going to let it go. So you've got to sprint to the rim Almost, but then you've got to have guys who are able to get back and identify shooters. So I, th- I think Missouri's transition defense, especially off misses, is going to be important because they're Bama's not going to hold it or walk it. They're going to come down, and the ability for Missouri to match up. You know, Missouri's a team that wants to come down. They want to stop. They want to do good transition defense, match up, then force you to play, and they want to get into gaps. They're gonna. It's going to be fascinating what Missouri does in the first like seven seconds of an Alabama possession. Can they come down, get organized, get matched up and and really just force Alabama to go into some more dribble drive motion stuff or just make them play out of a half court possession. Cause I think Missouri can, can function that way. Cause Bama's not going to look to target them in ball screens. I think Missouri can do enough in rotation and they're sound enough maybe to, to shrink some gaps, but that assumes they win the race down floor and don't give up and just don't get bombed away from the perimeter. So th- I think that's where, to me, I'm watching and what I'm going to be interested in seeing. If you can't tell, if you can't tell we're, well, we're way more interested in Alabama than we are in Kentucky. Um, yeah, I don't want to discount Kentucky because, I mean, obviously, you know, they're they're still capable. And if they have a good offensive night, it, it's it's – it's difficult because they're talented. Um, they haven't had a lot of good offensive nights this year, and that's why they're five and ten. Um, yeah, but they're five and ten, and they're still, you know, like 
decent Kempom rating. So uh, you certainly hope that you get bad offense, Kentucky, and 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 then you can move on and and hope for the best against Alabama. Um, so as far as you and me, we'll be back uh, next week. There is National Signing Day for football. Matt, why do they have two of these things? It doesn't make any sense to me. Know. Like it's the dumbest thing that you have a national signing day, and then you have just another national in, signing day. Just split the difference and put it in December. Just I don't really care when you put it. I I'm actually a favor of, of like you know banning the the national letter of intent. I think we should just do a a grant of aid and uh and then call it a day. Uh, you have you have guys, you know, if they want to have a little signing ceremony, they can sign their grant of aid. Like that's all it is. Then you just show up to campus when you're when you're ready to show up. Uh, but yeah, so that's happening Wednesday. I think uh, I think BK and Nate are going to record again this week, so they'll actually probably have some reactions to whatever happens. I don't know that we really expect uh, Missouri to be all that active. Um, but you and I will be back to review the week that was with uh, with Kentucky and Alabama. And uh, and looking ahead uh, again to, I mean, we're we're all kind of hoping that these games happen. Um, right now, uh, yeah. So yeah. the Missouri game, for anybody that didn't uh, notice, uh, see the news today. Missouri game got moved from Tuesday night to Wednesday night because uh, Kentucky is coming off a little COVID pause. Sounds like all their uh, you know their players. Um, you know the important folks are able to um, resume practice. So they're resuming practice, I think, today, and and they're gonna uh, come to Columbia, Missouri, for a a basketball game on Wednesday, um, which is good for us. We get a night to just sort of sit and around and not do anything tomorrow. Uh, then the following week after Kentucky and Alabama, uh, Missouri will travel to Ole Miss, and then they get a return trip to. Arkansas, or turn trip from Arkansas as the uh, the Hogs will come back to Como for the Rally for Ryan game. So uh, be on the lookout. Probably this week I'll post uh, another little little fundraiser that we'll have for the Rally for Ryan game. Uh, it will be pretty similar to last year where I think we had like a straight donation thing. You could use the escalator clause um, and then you know also add donations for uh, specific, you know, statistics being hit, like number of three-pointers made, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it it should be interesting. Stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah, anything else for you want uh, you want to say, Matt, before we get out of here? No, I think we touched every uh, topic that needed to be discussed. And thank you for uh, listening to our ramblings about statistical models. I'm pretty sure that you know Mitch could probably cut that entire segment, and nobody would be the wiser uh but it felt good to kind of get some of that off my chest anyways um matt uh we'll be back next week make sure you subscribe follow matt on twitter follow me on twitter if you're uh, so inclined all all hate mail goes to mitch and we'll be back next week with more dive cuts and until then thanks for tuning in